0: Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today, we are in week eight of Path Nine in the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm joined again this week by Steve Winstead. Steve, good morning. Good
1: morning. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, I had fun last week with chapter two, and let's begin right here with chapter three. Uh, verse one, Paul says, But know this, I'm reading the Christian Standard Version, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. Uh, uh, I guess quickly, not to get bogged down on this. Last days, people interpret that differently. When we're using it this morning, very generally, we're just going to talk about the time between when Jesus ascends to heaven, which we see in Acts chapter one, and when Christ comes in His literal physical appearing, then in the second coming. So, so all the time between then, we're going to take into consideration as the last days thematically. Are you good with that, Steve? Yeah,
1: yeah, and that's so that's the period of time, obviously um that we're in right now and he says difficulty's going to come so um we should expect difficulty yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely and and i mean look at the list that he has here uh lovers of self lovers of money boastful proud demeaning disobedient to parents un- i'll read that again shannon could you play this for the kids disobedient to parents ungrateful and I unloving mean, all this stuff he clearly can't be talking about, well, these sins don't exist, but one day in the very last days they will exist. We look at this list and go, oh, yeah. we In our own lives and other people, we see all this stuff happening all the time.
1: Yeah, we see this stuff happening all the time in the church. And as I read this list, you know, I realize my flesh still is drawn to this. My flesh still um, uh, struggles with this. I mean, the first one that he mentions there, for people will be lovers of self.
0: Lovers of self. That's right.
1: I don't know how any person uh, who's honest with himself doesn't say I, I, that they wrestle with that, Yeah, that, that we oh, wrestle yeah. with loving our self more than other people, more than, than God. And, and that's why the, an understanding of overemphasis on self mm. is uh, rebellion and denial of how God has made us. Mm. It doesn't mean we don't... Um, you know, we, we, we don't have a hard time taking care of ourselves, but we should be thinking of God and others more. And really, as we do that, I think that that's where we begin to uh, experience the freedom that Christ has for us and begin to live more in the full.
0: Well, here's what's interesting to to me about this this first bit is I start going through this and I go, OK, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, non-Christians, people that don't know the Lord, Christians who are living in rebellion, me, me and my own, I, I a lot of this stuff so easy to see. And then it gets down to verse 5 and says, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. You can't Of all the verses, that does not seem to fit in the list that he's given. So you have all these vices, and then all of a sudden he says a form of godliness but denying its power. And I do believe here he's started to uh, unpack more specifics that come through these false teachers ways in which their li- these, these this vice list is play out in their own lives. It's almost the fruit. Jesus says a bad tree will bear bad fruit. Well, the fruit of these teachers' lives is bad fruit of unrighteousness. But what does it mean, a form of godliness? And this is, I think, a very big deal, obviously then but right now. False teachers don't always come in the most recognizable ways. What is a form of godliness? They can speak the right language. They can actually preach the same gospel we would preach. And here's where it gets really tricky. They can talk about a love for Christ, a love for the Scriptures, believing this is God's Word, but deny its power. And if you look at their life, how they live and what they actually lead you to live does not line up with what Jesus calls righteousness. And that is the deciding factor when evaluating a false teacher that seemingly is preaching the same message where is that leading us to? And honestly, I think about present day, I think one of the most dangerous false teachers, and you know, not to create any offense on the podcast, but is a guy named Matthew Vines, who is advocating biblically in his mind that monogamous same-sex relationships are faithful to Christ and should be viewed as that by the church. Matthew, if you ever watch him speak, is unendingly humble, a very sweet guy, talks about his love for Christ, his faith for Christ, the covenant of marriage, how it's life. I mean, the exact same vocabulary we would use. And yet, what he's leading us towards is calling unrighteousness righteousness. And what's so dangerous about that is we just seem to have a soft spot for people who are are, are nice, meek, kind. That's a form of godliness, and yet, it is not leading us in a Christ-like direction. He's got good stuff to say about some things, but the result is not the fruit of a righteous tree.
1: Well, even even last we were talking about, you know, the, the implications of gentleness and being gentle with our opponents. Someone uh, can be a false teacher and be incredibly gentle and humble. Uh, because honestly, if we were to write out a bit of a script for here's how a a uh, converted person is to live, how they're to treat people, how they respond people, a lot of people could white knuckle it and and live out that play pretty easily. And And there's people in the church all the time who come and have an expectation of this is how Christians are to behave and how are to act. And some of that's not necessarily bad, but it can become very troubling when a person just begins to end up in a behavioral modification form of Christianity. That's not Christianity at all. So here he's talking about there's an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power of the gospel. And what you're talking about is so powerful there because we live in a day and age where there is a, a great attack upon marriage. And this is God's first institution. He created it. He's the one who designed it. And God is the one who empowers us to live in light of how he's designed us and created us. So to deny that we, we all struggle with sin, to deny that I, I can't overcome um, sinfulness in my mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and must just give into it and live in light of my sinfulness and, and live outside the bounds of marriage is a denial of the power of the gospel.
0: It is. And even go going beyond that, actually calling sin righteousness they're not even saying give in to it, but actually redefining it. Uh, okay so so last week, Steve, just to push us forward and this is a bit choppy, but we want to go uh, to one thing. last week, second Timothy 2:2 we introduced as a little bit of a guideline for discipleship in that we mentioned uh, well, I should say you mentioned the only thing or, or, or uh, Timothy didn't only learn propositional truth from Paul. It wasn't just a, a sit down and let me teach you. Uh, you know, the prophets and the, the, uh, you know, the Pentateuch and, or the first five books of the Bible, whatever it is, the psalm, but Timothy learned, he had an education outside of the the truth transference, and you get that here, more insight into that in in verse 10 in chapter 3.
1: Yeah, verse 10, he starts off, and he's going to list sort of 10 things that, in a sense, Timothy received from Paul. And the first one, he says, you have followed my teaching. So he does start with teaching. That word for teaching can also be uh, interpreted in in some translations. It's doctrine. That Paul had a a belief system, and he tells Timothy earlier to guard it. And that word guard is like, uh, it's the idea of like someone guarding the gold at Fort Knox. They are going to protect it no matter what. And he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. So Timothy had heard and witnessed what Paul taught. And then the second thing he mentions is my conduct. what the ESV says. Some translations say my way of life. So these first two things he mentions gets to the heart of discipleship, which is truth and life transferred in a context of a real relationship. So here, Mm -hmm. Timothy, you know what I've taught. You've heard me teach. You know the truth. And Timothy, you've seen me uh, by God's grace, live this out
0: that's right and what i what i love is that that paul has not shown timothy some pristine comfortable everything's always okay type of life which 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 can be the nature of some of our discipleship experiences Uh, uh, what paul gave timothy was the reality of walking with god uh you know when paul's writing in Romans seven, the things that I want to do i don't do the very things that I do are the very things that i don't want to do. we should assume that Timothy saw some of that, not just his sufferings but he saw all the daily living and struggles of paul and and yet i'm sure he actually saw the repentance of paul he saw paul's conviction of sin uh and and that challenges us, i think, especially in our gospel journey groups of to not have these 10 weeks together is some veneer of, well, everything's always okay. And if we have a persona that we're not struggling with anything, we're reproducing that persona in others. I cannot imagine that was true of Paul to Timothy.
1: Now, Tim- Timothy had obviously seen Paul's struggle, seen him in hardship. And, you know, walking on through this list, he says, you know, about my life. Uh, again, some translate that purpose. So I think about my children, I go, more than anybody, if someone was asked, like, what does, you know, your dad live for? They would they they could probably give you maybe perhaps the the truest answer of what I really live for. And it might be very convicting that I'm often living for and chasing after things other than Christ. And in my heart, my desire is to chase after Christ. But Timothy had seen in Paul what his purpose was. Paul yeah. said things for like me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Uh, he also mentions his faith, patience, love, steadfastness, things you experience, but then he doesn't he goes on and he mentions those tougher things you mentioned. My persecutions and sufferings. Mm-hmm. Paul had both been persecuted for his faith and he had suffered in life in general. Paul had some sort of ailment. We don't know That's a lot right. about it. That's right. But he had some sort of ailment. We know that Paul had bad eyesight, you know. Uh, Impacts a lot of people, but he had suffered in life. And my favorite thing that Timothy mentions here is he said, the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Now, we can go to Acts and find out a little bit of what those are, Mm -hmm. but not fully. Right. And Timothy, when Paul mentions these incidences— Timothy knew exactly what Paul meant. That's he right. was there. That's right. They had been together. So there's something about journeying with somebody through life, walking with them through tough seasons, yep. being real with them, uh, loving them. A- and what I found is anybody that I spend, you know, very much time with, I'm a person who, by nature, I'm often a little guarded at first. But as I get to know people, mm-hmm. it takes time. Those walls begin to fall. And I realize, like, they're seeing parts of me that— uh, are definitely not not beautiful, that still need to be redeemed and worked through. And Timothy had seen those in Paul, That's right. yet still loved him, and it was still a model worthy of following because you see the intent of his heart.
0: You do, and you you get here in verse 14, but as for you, so Paul says, hey, this is what happened to me. You know this, but as for you, if you don't remember the context of this letter, that can, that can lose a little bit of weight. This is beginning from 314 all the way through the end of the book, this is a pretty emotional part of the letter. When Paul says, but as for you, continue, Paul's saying, uh, after I die, which is about to happen. It's not this, hey, Timothy, keep going. I'm going to be right here with you. We're going to get this thing done together. He's saying, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. Timothy, you keep going. What's going to keep you going? Remember what you have learned what you've believed, and who taught you these things. Yeah,
1: I, I love how you talk about this is a bit of an emotional thing for Paul here, writing to Timothy, because Timothy, um, his family tree wasn't a thing of Jewish beauty uh, in the Jewish mindset. He would be viewed as someone who, he, he had a Greek father. Um, people don't know the story of really what happened with his father, but as a boy, and where he was from in that synagogue, Timothy would not have been able to go study at the synagogue. Hmm. Yet somehow he had been taught from a young boy the truths of Scripture. That's right. So his mother and his grandmother had taught him the things that other boys were getting at the synagogue when Timothy couldn't. And Paul comes mm-hmm. and builds Timothy up. And I think Timothy, one of the reasons Timothy struggled throughout his life with uh, timidity and those sorts of things is because even from a young boy he'd always been seen as a as a as a guy who wasn't worthy who, who outside looking in outside looking in and Paul comes and sees this guy who's hungry who's willing to follow who's willing to be obedient who who loves the lord and Paul comes and and encourages him and builds him up and it's such a, a beautiful picture of what we get to do in discipleship in people's lives because yep. many of the people we meet with when we dig into to people's lives. Lives are messy. People are hurting. People are broken. They've gone through things. And the, the norm is that that doesn't come out usually at your first meeting. Or if it does, it comes out in a, a guarded way. It takes time of walking with a person before you begin to see those things and able to speak into them and remind them who they are, as a result of what the gospel's done in their life.
0: Yeah, and it's not all that dissimilar from Jesus calling his own disciples. And, and, and you go all the way back to, to to God calling David through Samuel. God does not choose the way man chooses. And and here, Timothy is a very unlikely candidate to be in the position that he's in. And Jesus' own disciples were uh, pretty unlikely candidates to be in the position they were in, we should all see ourselves as pretty unlikely candidates to be in the position that, that, that we're in as far as our standing and relationship with God. But this goes back to what he mentioned even last week. When, you're di- when you are teaching, when you are discipling, the criteria is that someone's faithful, not their educational background, not their socioeconomic background, not the way that they dress, not the way that they talk, not the social advantages they bring, not their own networking, not their business acumen, none of that. Paul says faithful that's the only and, and if we keep that in mind well you know, it, it really starts to make sense whom god has picked to work in and through throughout human history
1: yeah and i'm glad you said it's faithful because i think sometimes even in our christian community our churches and stuff we we view fruitfulness over faithfulness
0: yeah, giftedness over godliness. Yeah, and right. and,
1: and, and those are, uh, giftedness is it's given by God. It's a beautiful thing. Fruitfulness should be celebrated and, and is a beautiful thing. But we can't always control, we can't control how gifted we are. And we can't control how fruitful we are. But being faithful, God gives us a measure of being able to be faithful. He breathes it into us, mm-hmm. but we work within that. So our biggest life ambition should be, faithfulness. And God will bring the fruitfulness. Yes, And and God will take the giftedness that he's given us and maybe show us that we're gifted in some areas that we didn't know. And he'll, in the areas where we're not gifted, he'll surround us, I believe, with people and others that will uh, fill those gaps. That's one reason we need the body. Uh, yeah, and even absolutely. as in discipling, we need to be pointing people to others going, hey, I may not be able to teach you as much here, but so and so can. Our discipleship of of people, isn't there our individual project. We love them like Christ loves them and point them to the community, to the body of Christ, to receive and grow in that context. That's part of the beauty of discipleship is it happens within the context of a a community, but there is a, hey, I'm gonna invest in this person and love them and and, and do that intentionally.
0: And part of what I think also goes into our discipleship as it relates to what we're talking about is recalibrating what impresses us. And so what actually impresses us a lot of times the same thing that impresses the world. Uh, man, this person is making a lot of money. they're sharp. look at their leadership level for how young they are it's all the it, not bad qualities necessarily, but you know this this man or woman over here that's been serving behind the scenes for twenty years. Maybe they're middle to lower class. Yeah, We don't look at that with a worldly lens and think that's an impressive life. From a Christ-centered lens, though, that's exceeding above and beyond anything that the, that the world would see or think or value. And that's got to be true in our discipleship, too. I mean, don't, and we always want to encourage people, but we also want to encourage the very things that the Bible encourages, which is content of, of character, it's fruitfulness, it's fruits of the spirit. It's it's not always giftedness, public attention, and the big waves we're making you know in the outside world. Okay, Steve, maybe the uh most important New Testament verse, I anytime you say that you're hesitant because somebody can always argue it, and probably rightfully so. But as far as what we believe the Bible says about itself, chapter 3, verse 16 may be the clearest, at least, New Testament verse that we have, if it's not the most important. Uh, All Scripture is inspired by God, or breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the man of God, person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, Why is this verse uh so important
1: yeah th- this certainly is the most quoted to and referred to verse when we talk about the authority and the power and the impact of the word of god is that this the, the bible we have before us though men wrote it they were not writing of their own accord god breathed it in and through them He didn't override their unique personalities and their unique writing styles. Those are still there. But God spoke exactly what he wanted said through that person in a perfect way. And this verse is the verse that gets it that clear in my mind than any other. It's the one that's helped me have clarity on it more than any other verse, which is all Scripture. And again, it's all Scripture. All of it is breathed out by God. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. We live in a day and time where people are having it, claiming a godliness, but they'll say, hey, I'm I'm a, a Christian who, you know, I'm a red-letter Christian, so I like the words of Jesus. I'm like, great, we all should love the words of Jesus. But sometimes what they're saying is, I only, I, I I've, Follow the words of Jesus and don't allow the rest of Scripture to help me interpret and see those. Actually, I, I, I think Paul is a little bit jaded, maybe a little bit bigoted, and the Old Testament is irrelevant. That's sometimes what people are saying. This says all Scripture is God-breathed. All. So there's not any part of it that's not breathed out by God. There's part of it that I have to wrestle with more than others. Yeah.
0: Uh, there's part of it that, or simply, it's hard to understand.
1: Hard to understand. Than others. And there's parts that are different genres. So I've got to realize, like, hey, when I'm reading a proverb, a, a proverb is general wisdom that God gives us. It doesn't mean that if I follow that proverb, this is going to happen a hundred percent of the time. So understanding uh, the the context of Scripture makes a lot of sense. But this is so powerful because. The thing that's going to be profitable for teaching is the Word of God. The
0: Word of God. That's right.
1: When, when a, when a, in our discipleship, when we start stepping outside the Word of God and teaching other things, that's where we can end up in places that are that are dangerous and unhealthy. It has to be rooted in the Word of God. Well,
0: and it, and, uh, and keep going through the list for rebuking. Man, if I'm going to call someone out on their sin, and make sure that I'm not being legalistic and just calling them out on my preference. I need to to be able to root it in God's word. I need to be able to show someone in scripture why their lifestyle is not congruent with what Jesus calls us to do. If I don't or can't, then I really run the risk of becoming a modern day Pharisee and saying, no, live your life like this. That's what makes me most comfortable. That's what I think is. uh, Jesus is very strong. You don't teach the traditions of men as the word of God. And so even in our rebuking and calling out of sin, we need to be able to go to Scripture, chapter and verse, and help people see that. And I am not a Greek scholar. I do know here that all means all, as Mm -hmm. you've already said. And I do want to, just maybe to connect this, I don't even know if, I almost hesitate to bring it up because I don't want people to become curious about it. But um, some people are familiar with the name Andy Stanley. Uh, His most recent book uh, almost calls us to throw out the Old Testament as completely irrelevant and uh, I'm glad you said what you did because this is a perfect verse to draw us back to going that should send off warning flags that's a warning sign right there he has he's missing it in that area because all scripture it's not just inspired but profitable it's all but it means for our good mm-hmm. We we all there's a goodness of God's word from Genesis to Revelation that we cannot do without
1: Yeah, and and Jesus quotes the Old Testament often. When he is tempted uh, by Satan, he's quoting from Deuteronomy, from the wilderness wanderings, and he's been out in the wilderness. So Jesus in no way uh, lessons or devalues scripture, the old Testament, he builds it up. It was all pointing to him. The thing that Jesus pushes back on is the traditions of the elders, which were extra biblical writings, right? That people had equated somehow to having the same weight as God breathed scripture. And they didn't.
0: Well, you could go beyond equated and saying oftentimes in their context, superseded. I mean, yes, they almost, uh, uh replaced God's word. Um, you know, we it's probably another we com could, We could keep unpacking this. If you struggle with this idea, though, which which is pretty normal, can I trust the Bible? Is the Bible reliable? Is it actually from God? Uh, email me, jamie at harvestmemphis.org or steve, steve at org. We'd love to. There's some really helpful resources that I think give us more confidence that the Bible really is what it says that it is. And uh, the manuscript evidence, what we have available to us, we're only learning more and more about just how trustworthy uh, what God's given us actually is.
1: Yeah, I think there is logic and reason and human even uh, reliability that we can look at and go, Scripture is, is remarkably put together and is, uh, has remarkable proofs. At the same time, there comes a point where we go, I've got a lot of evidence and at some point, we have to take that step of faith and go, am I going to trust this word or am I going to trust my own opinions? Yes. Am I going to trust this word or am I going to trust what society is saying? Because uh, in my lifetime, right now, we're at a, a point in history where society is saying what is good and what is right are things that are contradictory to Scripture. That's right. And I tell you, me I don't stand up well against that unless I say this is what the Lord said. That's Uh, right. But God said this, and I want to do so in great gentleness and love, but at the same time without backing down. So this is a huge text in discipling people. What do you believe about Scripture? Because that's what's going to teach us. That's what's going to help us correct. And that's he says that's what's going to train us in righteousness.
0: Absolutely. So
1: if we're going to be more holy people, it comes from being rooted in the word of God, being in the word of God in community. And that's why I love our um, gospel journey groups is because it's a small community that are gathering together around the word of God. That's a beautiful thing. And in your groups, if you ever come to a place where you're going, what we just read there, we're taking it, 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 it seems a little out of step with what we've learned other places. You can pause, you can ask people, you can figure it out. There's so many resources in our day that we've been blessed with. But continually coming back to we trust what God's word says is huge in your groups.
0: Yeah, and I think that's well said and a great way to wrap up our conversation this week from Second Timothy chapter 3. Steve, thanks again.